morning, everyone. Good morning. I, I'm excited to be here. I, I see some new faces. My name is Andy. I um, have the, the pleasure and the privilege every you know few weeks or months to bring you God's word, and I'm excited to do it this morning. Uh, you know, we've been in this sermon series. You, you may have been with us for many weeks now, even months. It's called The Way Forward. We're been, we've been just traveling chapter by chapter through the book of Exodus. How many of you have enjoyed Exodus? <laughs> many of you have gotten to these points where you're reading these long stretches of scripture and you're like, I had no idea it was in there. <laughs> I've read the Bible a few times and I've gotten to points where I'm like, I had no idea. I just forgot that that even existed in there. That's one of the beauties of doing God's word verse by verse and chapter by chapter. You can't really hide from the hard stuff. And this morning we're going to continue. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 28. And before we like jump full head first into it, I, I kind of want to set the stage for us. Because we've been uh, talking about this idea of Exodus. In fact, the book is called Exodus. You guys realize that? And the book is called Exodus because it's primarily this book about people departing one place for another. And so the whole beginning of the book is God's uh, righteous and holy, powerful right hand. He reaches down and he rescues the people out of... Egypt. Okay, D minus. We're going to have uh, some improvement. So he pulls them out of Egypt. That's right. You know, and there we get all these stories. We get the splitting of the Red Sea and water from the rock and manna. And we get all these marvelous stories, these wonderful stories. But Exodus is not just about God delivering the people out of something. It's also about preparing their hearts to put them into something. And I think in the last couple of weeks what we're getting is, is we're starting to get the shift in the tone of God moving people out of something with these big awesome stories of the Red Sea splitting and the plagues and all these sorts of things. And now we're getting these long, long, long lists of details. And you should build it out of acacia wood and this kind of wood and X, Y, and Z. And are you guys following with me? It's all these formulaic details. And I think that sometimes the details, they seem confusing. And, and frankly, I've read chapter 28 about 10 times this week, and I still don't have my mind wrapped around it. I just want to, you know, confess that to you. But I know for certain that the details are because God is in the business of shaping his people to go into something, not just get out of something else. That God wants to shape a certain type of people that when they go into the promised land and live in some semblance of freedom, that they have the framework and the foundation to live the way God desired them to live. And so this morning we're coming to chapter 28. If you're already there, it's about the priestly garments. Everybody else super excited about this? You know, there's this phrase, I, I said this to Danny I think on Thursday, there's this phrase that you know, circles around Christians all the time. And it's like, you read this really cool Instagram post. It's like a sunset and it has like a Christian quote. And you're like, that'll preach. You guys know that? Like, wow, that was deep. That'll preach. <laughs> Exodus 28 is not that will preach. <laughs> Exodus 28 is a chapter that, frankly, as I read, I started to think, hmm, I wonder how we can skip through this and get to something bigger or better. And I say that full honesty, but I also felt this, this conviction in my heart that, that God said, listen, my word is alive, it is active, it is wonderful, it is life. There is something for you here if you will just sit in it and sit in it and sit in it. And so I'm excited to, to pull apart chapter 28 with you this morning. So we have uh, Moses is still up on the mountain. He's still talking to God. What we're coming into is God articulating to Moses what he desires for his people. And with that, 
I give to you Exodus chapter 28. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. C. C plus maybe. We're getting there. Verse 1 goes this, like this. Buckle up. There's going to be a lot of reading. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him. I know there's a lot of uh, pregnant women. Uh, if you're having a son... Um, full admission. I haven't really said this yet, but Natalie and I are expecting a second son. Thank you. Uh, here are some names. Here are some possible names. Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine twined linen. You guys got that? Okay, because I don't completely. That's the honest truth. As they develop this, I'm so grateful for the internet and what experts like take a, a sketch and they sketch out what this looks like because I'm, I'm like totally lost. I'm so visual. But this is what I, I think God has for us in the beginning of chapter 28. This idea is that God is moving his people primarily out of Egypt. And when they were in Egypt, everything they knew about worship and everything they knew about culture was either completely or partially influenced by the Egyptians. Their idea of priests and what priests do, influenced by the Egyptians. The way that they understood worship of God or the gods, influenced by the Egyptians. Are you seeing that? And so there's this element of Christians living in 2022 in Orange County that no matter what we do, there is influence from the outside. And I think what God wants to do is say, look, let's push the reset button. Let's start all the way from scratch from the bare bones basics and let's build a system not, not with the influence of Egypt or what you knew in Egypt but something completely brand new and so this is what he says he says there are going to be priests in the worship and the priests are going to be Aaron and his sons this is not a volunteer position this is not like after worship you go and sign up that you want to volunteer to be a priest God says it's going to be Aaron and his sons now this is an important note that we can kind of just brush over because here's the deal in Egypt. Egypt, the priest and those who lead the worship in Egypt are influential people. They have the power to dish out favors and political status to others. And so if you were a high priest in Egypt and you wanted to make sure that maybe your family was secure, who would you appoint as another priest? Maybe a brother-in-law, maybe a cousin, Maybe some guy you're hoping will marry into your family and bring some money and some status. And so right from the start, this is what we hear about the priests. God is setting it up so there will not be manipulation. You already know who they're going to be. They're not going to be assigned. They're not going to be politically appointed. The king, when that comes in the future, does not get to decide who gets to be the priest. The priest is there to serve God and the people, and it's appointed by God. And for this person to stand out in the crowd... It says in verse 2 that he's going to be dressed for glory and for beauty. It's an interesting way to describe it. I, I described it this way, that this guy is going to get swagged out. You know what I mean? From head to toe, we hear about these six pieces of clothing, and they're going to be coordinated. They're going to be beautiful. They're going to be colorful. How many of you have a, a problem just coordinating, like, blue jeans with a shirt that matches? 
Um, the other day I was at a doctor's appointment with my wife and I, I sat down and I crossed my legs and she looked over and said, why did you choose those socks? <laughs> and I said, they looked fine to me, they fit. Well, those are clashing with your blue jeans. And I thought, now that you say that, they definitely are clashing with my blue jeans. God is ensuring that this person, the priest, does not clash with his blue jeans. This person is going to be coordinated. When you see them in the crowd, you're going to say, that is a priest. That person is important to who we are and who we are becoming as God's people. That per person is the person in Israel who bears the burdens of the people before God. That is a priest's job, to represent the people before God and bring their sacrifices to God. This is kind of a side note, but something important that we should know for the Old Testament. That primarily a priest's job is to represent the people before God, and a prophet's job is to represent God before the people. So you see these, these two roles, these two offices kind of coming together. So Moses is up on the mountain. He's kind of the prototype of a prophet. He's going to bring God's word down to the people. And Aaron is going to be set up to bring the worship of the people to God. In verse 3, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill. It's my favorite verse in the entire chapter sets the tone for something that often goes overlooked. We've read in the past few chapters, I think it's in chapter 25, where, where God says, Moses, when you go down, I want you to make a, a bold announcement to all the people and say, hey, if you guys want to contribute to this thing called the tabernacle, the dwelling of God, you can bring your best to it. You can contribute. You can be part of the mission of what God is doing as he comes to dwell in our midst. We say this thing often when we, we uh, do our tithes and offerings time. We say that the Bible teaches that we tithe in our time, our treasure, and our talent. F. You guys are needing improvement here. Time, treasure, and talent. God is saying that you can give of your time. You could be one of the skilled laborers who's going to hammer hammers or hammer nails and, and build. You can give of your treasure. You can give over your valuable things for the contribution. And now we learn in chapter 28 that God is calling forth people who have the talent, the skill. These are the artistic ones. These are the ones that have an eye for what looks beautiful and what is, is good to the eye. This is a high and holy calling to bring your artistic talent before God. And he says, look, I want you to call all the skillful ones. And they're not just skillful because they're good at stuff. They're skillful, he says, because I filled them with a spirit of skill, with an artistic eye for what is beautiful and good in the world. I made a slide because chapter 28 doesn't want us to miss this word skilled and skillful. It says it, uh, I think, seven times. It tells us the word skillful, and it tells us some of the things that are required in just making the priest's outfit. Here's some of the ones. Uh, God calls those who know how to dye yarn, weave fabric, engrave stones, set stones, embroider, hammer precious metals, and tailor. These are just people who are going to make the outfits for the priest. Isn't that cool? I think there's a, a question that we can stop and ask ourselves. It's, what skill or talent or artistic ability do you have that God might be saying, you should bring that to the table? You should bring it to the worship. You should make it an addition to what, what makes things look beautiful and good. And so this is the system and the structure that God is setting up. And he's setting it up full well, saying, if you have an artistic expression, I want you to bring it and make it to part of, of what will become the worship system in Israel. Exodus 28 goes on, and we'll pick up in verse 6. 
and they shall make the ephod of gold. An ephod is a really fancy, cool way of saying like a, a radical vest with lots of cool stones on it. You're going to make it of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. There's that word again. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together, and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, it, and be one piece with it of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in order of their birth." As a jeweler engraves signets, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. Everybody take a deep breath and give me a chance to catch my breath. So here's the deal. I, I want to read this in its entirety because it's God's word. How many of you are, are tracking with this, by the way? Yeah, that's yeah, about 10% of you auditory learners in the house, right? This is challenging, difficult stuff to, to wrap our mind around, but even though we can't wrap our mind around it because I, I haven't worn an ephod in a while, and, and I'm not really like in the hip-hop game, so I don't have a lot of like gold chains lying around, what we can gather from this is that God is so interested in the details. Why is God so interested in the details? Because these details, when they're added up, are going to be the worship of God's entire people. And the worship of God's people is what will shape them to be the people he called them to be in the world. The people that say, outside influences will come. But we will not be shaken. We will worship the Lord our God. We know in detail what God desires for us, and we will follow, we will obey no matter what comes. The details matter. So I wanted to point a couple things out. You may notice that, that Aaron is supposed to bear these people symbolically with him. Did you catch that? There's going to be a stone, and it, there's two stones, and on one of them has six of the names uh, of the sons of Israel engraved on it, and the other stone has the other six names. Did you catch that? And it says that when he comes before the Lord, Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders. In the Bible and even in our culture, the idea of carrying something on your shoulders is like lifting a burden, right? When you think of like a soldier carrying another soldier out of battle on his shoulders, what is the image? The image is that he's bearing up something with strength, that he's taking someone's burden, somebody's injury maybe, and he's carrying it on his shoulder. It, it, it costs something. It's weighty. And so this, the symbol is this, is that Aaron, when he comes before God to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, when he's going to say, these people have sinned against you and I want to help make this relationship right once again and I'm going to bring a sacrifice, he symbolically carries with him all the people of Israel. I love this because as the person whose job it is to represent God's people, God wants it even in the outfit for him to remember what his calling is about. His calling is not about himself. It's not about some high and mighty title that he got. His job is a servant to carry God's people with him into the presence 
of God. Isn't that awesome? I love this image, and I was thinking about this a, a bit last night, and I was reading about it, and I, I felt like there was some scripture. Like, you ever feel uh, this feeling like that you're trying to connect the dot? Like, you know there's a scripture. Like, God's put a scripture on your heart, and you're trying to figure out what is it, where is it? And I recalled this scripture from the book of Hebrews. You see, we're talking about the, the Old Testament. How many of you are feeling this is like foreign old school stuff? We don't worship with, you know, cutting up oxen. Nobody brought like an oxen in their car and met Pastor Danny in the front and said like, hey, can you bring it in and sacrifice it for me and then let me know if it went well. Nobody does that anymore. So it, it seems like in time and place that this can feel like a very distant old school thing that has no relevance to us. But in the New Testament, the, the authors pick up, because they grew up in this culture, they know all about the Jewish worship, worship system. And the author of Hebrews says this about Jesus. This is Hebrews chapter 4. I, I think I have a slide for this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If we could leave verse 16 up for a second. I want you to think about this. Aaron's job is to come into the presence of God to offer a sacrifice for the atonement of sin. All the while, you're not there. You don't get to be there. In order for God to have a tabernacle, to dwell in his people's midst, he, he makes it very clear that he will not tolerate sin in his presence. And so there's this kind of stratify... Is that the right word? Stratis, is that even a word? Stratified. No S. Stratified. There's this stratified worship system in the tent of meeting where the priest is the only one who gets to continue and go into the holy place. And in that place is where God's presence dwells. The author of Hebrews says, look, for you who are Jewish and you come from the, this system and you know how it works, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the high priest who tore down the curtain. And because of what he's done by his life, death, and his resurrection, you get to draw near to the holy place. You get to come right into its presence. You don't have to be afraid that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You no longer need an intermediary to carry your sacrifice to the altar. You get to go do it yourself. That's what we do together in worship. Isn't that awesome? We come into the presence of God and say there's nothing between us and you any longer, God. And it has nothing to do with what I've done or you've done. It has every, everything to do with what we celebrated two weeks ago on Easter Sunday. The point is this, is that whether it's the Old Testament and there's this system, the tabernacle, that seems very foreign to us, or we're sitting in church in 2022 right here at Bridge, that God's character doesn't change. God's character is that he wants us to draw near to him. He wants us to be close to him. He wants us to come boldly to his throne of grace. I, I think I've said this before that so often I, I read that and I feel this conviction that I come to the throne of grace like, oh, I'm so sorry, could I have a crumb or two? And God's like, I think you're missing the point. I, I have a heavenly feast. You can come boldly. You don't have to be afraid of what might happen. That through the blood of Jesus you can come right before the presence of God. Okay, let me gear up here because we've got some reading to do. 
Verse 15. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work. There's that word again. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it. So I think that's their way of saying it's supposed to match, right? For me, I, I just stand like this, and my wife says, nope, not that one. Keep going. Um, many of you have the same, and if you don't, you should find one of those people to avoid the going out in public piece. Okay, so you're going to make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, you shall make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set it in four rows of stones. And this is cool. I don't know what these stones exactly are. I looked them up, but they're beautiful. So there's some element of beauty that's now coming into the worship setting on the shoulders and on the outfit of Aaron and the priests. A row of, a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle. Carbuncle is just cool to say. <laughs> I was like whispering it to myself this morning and thought like, why do I say that? It's just cool. Say it to yourself. It's cool. Carbuncle. Sounds like, like an 80s um, like, like a comedy movie or something. Okay, where's the carbuncle? A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be on the first row. In the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And on the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And on the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. I think here's the deal. God does not want Aaron to forget for even a second of what his position and his job is. His job is to represent those people with utmost character and integrity and purity in the sight of God. It's this high and holy calling that every element of this worship setting is going to call to mind the beauty and the power of God. Even in the outfit, it's calling to mind the beautiful things that God has made. Do you know where you find a carbuncle? I, I don't exactly, but I imagine you have to dig or mine for it, right? It's hard to find these things. And in the finding of them, and you, I don't know, you, I'm just imagining like cracking open a rock and finding one, you recognize that even in the details under the dirt, that God created all things and there's beauty hiding in dirty places. And you have to go find it, you have to go mine it. So every part of the worship is proclaiming that God's handiwork is beautiful and good. I think there's... Um, also another element of this is as Aaron is carrying these stones on his shoulders. You can imagine if you were to create a worship system from scratch that there would be an element if God called certain people as priests and everybody else is just kind of over here that there would be a temptation to start to make a class divide. There's priests and then there's everybody else. You guys see that? I think built into this worship system is this, is that every tribe is represented. That all these artisans and these skilled laborers, they're all going to have a part in making this thing. There is buy-in, and where there is buy-in, there is unity. When the priest walks by, people say, hey, I, I know the guy who found that amethyst or who wove that part of the fabric. And it feels like they're all in this together, that God's worship system is not an us versus them like it was in Egypt. It's we're all in this together for the benefit of our nation to worship the one true God. I'm going to read this next piece quickly so we can uh, cover some ground. You shall make for me 
For the breastpiece, twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold, and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of the filigree and attach it to the front of the shoulder piece. Okay, I'm just going to skip right here. This is about where I got. I think, I, is there a slide of the priest's outfit? Okay, I got to this point, I just thought, oh boy, I, I'm trying to keep track of this, lost. Uh, so I, this, is, this is what a lot of people think this priest looks like. So I'll just give you a, a few seconds just to, oh, that's what we're describing here. We haven't got to the bells and the pomegranates yet, we'll get there in a second, but I think it's helpful for us to just get a visual of what is being described here. As you're looking at him, I just want to add this commentary that I think is kind of the, the takeaway for me in this chunk of the scripture. It seems repetitive. It, it seems overboard. In fact, I was reading this week, and I, I can't 100% confirm it, but someone I trust wrote this, that there are 50 chapters worth of scripture in the Old Testament that are dedicated only to the tabernacle, the temple, and the worship of God. In details just like this. Anybody ever read like a one-year Bible and you're trying to go Old Testament all the way through the New Testament? Yes or no? Okay, cool, because I had something to share if you have that in common with me. Uh, how many of you have read Genesis, read Exodus, and felt like you get to this part and you're like, oh, I'm just going to keep reading, and then you keep going, you get Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and you're like, I'm lost. Anybody ever got there before? Those are the 50 chapters. They are the details. It is of utmost importance. And here's the deal. God has been un unveiling this story to us. And we've gotten these big, huge stretches of history where the people come out of Egypt and they cross the Red Sea and it's this narrative-style teaching. And then all of a sudden we get this detail. And for 50 chapters worth, God's just having one single conversation with Moses for a lot of it. And there's this temptation just to brush by it and not pause and think deeply about what it is. But I, I think here's the deal. Is that God is interested in every single detail of worship. He's interested in the details of worship for the Israelites wandering in the desert. And he's interested in the details of the worship for you and for me. He's interested for the Israelites of how it looks. Why? Because when you walk into a worship space, he wants something that, that kind of breathes a sigh of relief and peace. I think Danny mentioned it a, a couple weeks ago, that the tabernacle, a lot of the decorations, experts say, is actually kind of hearkening back to the Garden of Eden. It's when you walk in, it's this vision of what God's original intention was. And it's beautiful and it's good. You notice all the gold and all the stones and all these things. It's calling you to recognize the goodness of God in your worship setting. But I was thinking about this because I know from my own experience, God is very interested in the details of worship. How many of you have ever come into worship after having a really hard conversation? You ever feel like it takes a few songs to kind of get it off you? Yeah? How many of you have ever been running like super seriously late? Like maybe when we pulled a fast one on you and changed the service from 10.30 to 10 and you showed up at 10.45 thinking you were 15 minutes late and you were 45 minutes late? You ever felt that kind of late? How easy is it to settle into worship and just kind of be? It's hard, isn't it? 
Maybe there was an argument that happened the night before. Maybe all these things kind of add up. These are the details of worship that when we begin to recognize, all these things come together and they matter. God is interested in the details. God is interested in the thoughts that you bring with you. And I'm not saying that you can't bring your weights and your burdens in. I'm saying that God calls us to recognize how every little detail contributes or takes away from our worship of him. It goes on in verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastpiece of judgment on his heart. You guys, you guys got that now? I think it's the fifth time. So he's carrying the breastpiece of judgment on his heart. When he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be on Aaron's heart. When he goes in before the Lord, thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. I think this is what it means to bear the judgment of the people. Sometimes we hear that word judgment and we think, immediately we think negative. How many of you like being judged? So we immediately think negative, but I think this word is not negative or positive, it's, it's neutral. Because when you come to bring a sacrifice before God, God is going to judge whether the sacrifice is worthy or it's unworthy. You tracking with me? And so Aaron's job is to bring the judgment of the people before God. It's on his heart, it says. And to be on someone's heart, the Bible is clear about the heart is the place of your intention. And so what it's calling Aaron to is to bring people with pure motives and pure intentions. God, I come before you to offer this sacrifice on someone's behalf because I want to offer a sacrifice on their behalf. I'm not adding extra beautiful words to the people I like and the ones I don't like. I'm not just like discarding their sacrifice and saying I'm doing it. He is called to this high and holy calling to represent all people well before the presence of God. I think there's uh, an element I was thinking about is, how many of you have had this? Hey, um, I'm praying for you. Maybe somebody says that to you on the phone or a text message. You ever get that? No, this is not a, this is not a, a judgment. Well, I guess it's a judgment in the sense that you just decide. How many of you have ever been skeptical whether that person actually prayed for you? I've been on both sides. I've been like, hey, I'm stopping to pray right now, and I actually do it. And I've also said generically, yeah, I'll be praying for you, and then I, I don't do it, to be honest. Have you experienced that? I think, I think if we're going to translate this into 2022 and say, what does it mean to bear somebody's judgment before God with purity and integrity? It would be this, that we, when we say those things, we mean it. When we say, you are my friend, and I love you, and I care about you, and I want your best, I mean that I'm going to go before God, and I'm going to contend for the very best for you. I'm not going to play favorites. I'm really going to do what I say I'm going to do. Which brings us to this very mysterious chunk of the scripture where he's to bear the Urim and the Thummim. How many of you have heard these words before? Now, these words are actually not that uncommon, and i got to warn you, don't go on Google. I say that at least like once every sermon. Don't go on Google and type these things in. I'll tell you why. This is uh, not me blasting anyone, but um, the Urim and the Thummim actually have taken on quite a bit of significance in the Mormon faith. That's why. So if you go type this into Google, you're going to get a lot of that. Um, they are a mystery. That's just the reality. We don't know what they are exactly. We know that there are two things, 
And they literally mean light and perfection. And we know that they have some, something to do with dis- determining God's will for his people. They're a, a, a tool for discerning what God desires for his people. Now, I just want to throw this out there. This is not uh, biblical in the sense that this is 100% true and, and provable, but I was texting back and forth with um, my good friend Jimmy over here, and I was spending a ton of time trying to figure out, like, does the Bible tell us what it is? And I've got to tell you, I don't know that the Bible tells us what it is, but I, I think that there's kind of one avenue worth going down. Jewish history very early on said that what these things were were two stones. One of them was black and one of them was white. And they were these stones that kind of uh, revealed God's will for the people. And so the, the white in the Bible represents like the smoldering hot gold, like pure and beautiful. And so there was some tradition that maybe one shook or lit up or something like that. And the black one, whenever that one indicated, that was not God's will. That was dark and, and not for the people of God. The only reason I, I tell you that is I, I was doing some study and I, I ran across the scripture and I just thought, man, if that's what it is, how good is God? This comes from Revelation chapter 2. There's not a, a scripture, so you can just close your eyes and listen. Jesus is saying to the people, this is what Jesus says, to the one who conquers all, I will give some hidden manna and to the others I will give them the white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who will receive it. The idea is when you conquer all, if this is the truth, then God will give you the thing that will discern his will. Now, you can take it or leave it. You can jump on the internet and come send me an email that I'm wrong. I'm totally open to it. So here's the deal. There's an element of mystery in the worship of God right from the beginning. There's this element that It doesn't even seem like a thousand years or two thousand years ago Jews even had a hundred percent idea of what those things even were. It was a mystery even to them. There's an element of our worship that's still a mystery. (coughs) Excuse me. Danny, is there a water bottle down there? Did you already drink off it? Yeah. (laughs) Brothers. All that water falling? Um, So there's an element of of mystery in the worship of God. And and I think right from the start, the mystery of God has something to do with discerning God's will and his purpose for your life. I want to tell you this. This is, again, experiential, but I, I believe this to be true. I think the Bible fleshes this out. If you're at a position in your life where you're like, I have no idea what to do. I'm seeking discernment. I I can't discover what it is. I'm trying my best. I'm trying to connect the dots and nothing's coming to me. Maybe it's a a relationship conflict. Maybe it's something with work or a job decision, this big weighty decision you can't figure out what to do. I think this is what the Bible would say. There's something mysterious that cannot be pinned down or explained, but you should go to worship. Go worship God because there's something there where God whispers his discernment to you. You no longer have to depend on Aaron. You can come right before his throne of grace. And there's something there that cannot be explained. But when you come boldly to the throne of grace, God reveals his will and his discernment. Of of course, whatever God reveals to you has to remain true with God's word. For the sake of time, we're going to push on. This is verse 31. You shall make the robe of the ephod all blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it and woven binding around the opening like the opening of a garment so that it may not tear. 
On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem. With gold, uh, with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and it, its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. Very interesting. Later, uh, Jewish tradition tells us that not only were the bells there to let people know that he was doing what he said he was going to do and going back there to, you know, present a sacrifice. But they also decided, you know what, just for an extra, like, life insurance, let's tie a rope around his ankle so that if he does die, we don't have to assign someone to go take the risk of getting him out. We can just yank him out without coming in the presence of God. Again, we are in the new covenant where we get to come boldly. We do not have to be afraid. By the way, uh, on Easter, do you remember, or on Good Friday, do you remember one of the first things that happens at the temple when Jesus breathes his last? It says that the curtain does what? It tears. That dividing wall that's being talked about over and over and over in Exodus, where only the priest can, can go there, there's no longer a, a division. So here's the deal. Even the detail of the hem of the garment, what does it have at the bottom? How many of you are still awake? Pomegranates and bells. bells. Oh, dang. B plus. We're getting there. Okay. Pomegranates and bells. This idea of pomegranate is this idea of fruitfulness, of joy. The bells are ringing in things that are true. Gold is purity. And so the idea is that even on the hem of his garment, the, the priest is taking in with him this beautiful joy, that this is a joyous occasion. When he goes back there, you can hear him doing what he said he's going to do. It says that you can hear him when he goes to minister, ministering on your behalf, he says. And so you can hear these things. In the Old Testament, coming into the presence of God is, is serious business, like we've said. By the blood of Jesus, we can draw close to God. Thanks be to God for that. You shall make a plate of pure gold. This is where we're going to pause, or we're going to stop this morning. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. So this thing, this plate of gold that he's going to wear on the turban, on his hat. Think of his forehead. It says, holy to the Lord. You know, I had a, a friend, um, or I had a friend. I still have a friend. He's still around. Um, He's a, he's a priest in the Anglican Church. Have you ever been around the Anglican Church? Wonderful, wonderful Christians exist in all kinds of denominations and places. And, you know, they have all these traditions and rituals that I'm not really familiar with. And one of the things is they cross themselves. Have you guys seen this? And I, I thought, you know what, I, I feel comfortable and safe with you. I didn't grow up around church a ton. But what is the deal with why you do that? He said, oh... It's actually simple. I, I pray while I, I do it. And I actually um, crossed myself three times. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. What's all this about? But he said, I, I cross my head. And I say, God, I give you my thoughts. And I cross my mouth. And I say, God, I give you my words. And I cross my heart. And I say, I give you the intentions of my heart. I think there's an element of that spirit that goes with Aaron, with this thing on his forehead, holy to the Lord. He goes head first. In Judaism, to go head first means you're bringing the whole thing with you. The idea is everything that I am, everything that I bring, the burdens of the people, the sacrifices, the intentions of my heart, I come to you with this proclamation, holy is the Lord.
to bear the, the guilt of the people, I think, is this. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I need to finish reading. It shall be on Aaron's forehead and shall uh, bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead, and they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat of checkerwork of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with the needlework. The rest of chapter 28 is, is just a, a recap of everything that was already spoken. But the, the idea of bearing the guilt of the people, it says that he will, uh, let's see, bear the guilt of the holy things that the people of Israel have consecrated. Most scholars just fall at this simple interpretation that's this. And I think this is important for our, our sake in worship. It's that if the people have forgotten something, maybe there's an element of the purity washing or the ritual that they haven't done that God has commanded. Most scholars say that what's being said here is that Aaron will take responsibility for it. As the high priest who's called into God's presence, he will take responsibility. The buck will stop with Aaron. Now that seems like harsh and heavy duty, wouldn't you say? But what will happen if a sacrifice is made and it's not accepted? What do human beings start doing? They start pointing fingers and they start blaming. If, if there's any element of this that goes awry... Aaron will take the responsibility. The buck stops here for Aaron. Why? Because I think God knows human nature is that we will look for someone else to blame. It's not my fault. I did it with purity. It's, it's their fault or it's his fault or all of these things. And so built into the worship of God is this, is that Aaron is responsible as the representative of the people before God for everything about them in the worship. The beauty of the New Testament says that we get to come boldly but the heavy responsibility is this, is that when we come boldly in the presence of God, the buck stops with us. Our worship, whether it's pure or not pure, is not anyone else's fault. It's not anyone else's uh, intention for us that got us there. It's not anyone's ill will that made us have a bad time in worship. The buck stops with the one who comes in the presence of God. I think what God is saying is you take responsibility for your own spiritual maturity and your own worship. That is your responsibility. It is not for followers of Jesus to point fingers and blame someone else for our worship. Like I said, I'll, I'll let you, if you'd like to, we can, um, you can speed read through the, the last chunk, but I want to I head for a finish line. I think there are two things that stuck with me, and I, I want to leave them with you if you're taking notes. You can write these things down. The first one is this, is that God's details, and they're wacky for me. This is a foreign culture, and I don't totally get it. But I know for certain that if we boil it down, God is saying this to Aaron and to Moses, that what you bring into worship with you is very important. The details, the things that might be overlooked, God says... Take hold of them, recognize them, because every detail matters. And so I think there's just an open-ended question for myself, for you. What do you bring into worship with you? Do you bring junk that could easily be left behind? Do you bring maybe a, a grudge or a nasty look at someone else sitting in the worship setting? Do you bring a, a heart well, ready to recognize someone who's new and welcome them in? Do you bring a heart of hospitality that says, God, I want to take a risk for you, whatever it is today? 
It's easy to take a risk, and this is the second thing I want to encourage you with. God is calling us to take risks in worship. I've had people tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, this is kind of weird, but I feel like God told me to tell you this, and they tell me something. And I'll be honest, there's been a few times where I'm like, that's a little weird. But most of the time, it's not a little weird. Most of the time, it's like, you have no idea what you just said to me. Anybody had that experience? Sometimes we're so scared of the little bit of wacky that we don't take any risk at all. And because we do that, we root out the risk and we root out the wacky, but we lose the gift that God might have for us. Maybe it's, I bring into worship this heart that says, God, I want to invite somebody to lunch. I want to meet somebody new. God, I want to maybe try raising my hands for the first time, or I want to actually sing instead of lip sync, you know? And it's easy to risk, and here's the second thing, it's easy to take risks when you, number two, remember who you are in Christ. Now looking over your shoulder, wondering what people think of you, because I'll tell you what God thinks of you. So we wrap up, would, would you stand with me, and I would love to read over you what God says of you. take a deep breath and maybe even close your eyes. I just want to read this verse over you. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may go forth and proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God, Thank you for choosing us even before we chose you. Even while we were walking in darkness, you knew us and you called us by name and you called us into the wonderful gifts of light that you have given us. Would you remind us of that this week? Would our joy overflow? Would people ask questions like, how can you be joyful or peaceful or or confident in a situation like this that we would proclaim your excellencies? We love you, God. We recognize that in worship, you break chains. You set us free. You give us a a vision for who we are and what we're called to do. And so we thank you for that today. Would you send us out with joy? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.
Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. 